And thank you, Gail, once again for sharing. And Gail's just going to be at the back of the back table, and I think she has a card you could take if you want to pray for her. I don't suppose it's easy transitioning from one country to another, even though it's in the same continent. Is it the same continent? Sorry, my ignorance. Africa, yeah. Yeah, so, so pray for Gail. Well, um, if you want to put your finger into Matthew chapter 1, that's where I'm speaking from. But, you know, when it comes to the characters of Christmas, I think the, some of the names are the obvious ones, right? So, of course, we have baby Jesus front and center, lying in the manger, if you can picture maybe the nativity scene. He's at the center because he is the Christmas story, of course. He is the one to be worshipped. And besides Jesus, of course, you always have Mary. And then, of course, there's the shepherds. And then, of course, the nativity scene is never complete without the donkey, right? And the cows and the chickens and whatever animals are left to our imagination that might have been there at the scene. And then in some nativity scenes, the wise men make their appearance, but I hope you know they came a little later on when Jesus was a toddler, right? Let's get our facts straight. But anyway... They're all prominent characters of the Christmas story. But there is one character in the Christmas story that is hidden in plain sight. And there he is, as Joseph, usually hiding behind Mary. And I would say he might be the most overlooked character in the Christmas story. So today and next Sunday, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how God used Joseph and Mary, both ordinary but godly people, to bring Jesus into the world to be our Savior. And so, did you know that Matthew basically presents the Christmas story through Joseph's point of view? And the Gospel of Luke presents the Christmas stories through Mary's point of view. And so I'm going to present Joseph's point of view from the Gospel of Matthew today. And the next Sunday we'll talk about Mary and how God used Mary to bring God's Son into the world. Now as you read Matthew chapter 1 to 2, Joseph is spoken about, but he is actually completely silent. Whoever wrote the script didn't give him any words. He didn't have to memorize anything. Everything's all spoken about Joseph. He doesn't say even one word. In fact, even the Gospel Luke, and he's included in the Christmas story, of course, but he is given no word. What we know about Joseph is basically what is said about him. But Joseph really didn't need to say anything because we recognize him by what he did. All in action. And so Joseph, you might want to call him basically an ordinary guy, just like you and me. Uh, You know him as a carpenter, of course. And the Greek word for carpenter or technon is actually more than just working with wood. He's basically a construction worker. He probably worked with concrete and other different materials. So just kind of picture, you know, a lunch bucket guy with me, maybe in a hard hat and an apron. He was an ordinary common worker in Israel. He's also from Nazareth, maybe one of the most embarrassing places to come from in Israel. I don't know. But he's a carpenter, a normal guy. 
But these are exciting times for Joseph because, guess what? He is about to be engaged to be married to Mary. Now, when it comes to marriage, it's important to understand that these things were done a little bit differently than our understanding of marriage. There was a custom for Jewish young people who anticipated getting married, and they were pledged to each other through a period called a betrothal, followed by the wedding ceremony, which happened about a year later. Now, in a Jewish betrothal, which lasted a year, as I said, it was considered a binding contract, and it could only be terminated if one of them died or by divorce. So, quite a bit different from our engagement, right? Even though Mary still would have lived with her parents during this betrothal period, Joseph, as it says in verse 19 of chapter 1, is already considered the legal husband. So, very different. The marriage was completed when Joseph took Mary, his betrothed, to his home in a public wedding ceremony. So, at this point, they could finally come together and become sexually intimate with each other, which is important to the story because that's, of course, how normally you would make babies, right? Is that how you understand it? Yeah. You might want to talk to your kids after the sermon if you've got little ones. Oh, they're downstairs. We're good. We're good. Now, before they came together, which is basically a euphemism for sexual intercourse, before the wedding ceremony had taken place, Joseph discovers that Mary is already pregnant. Crisis. Issue. But as Matthew 1.18 tells us, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, which is a little detail that Joseph does not yet know about. This is inserted in the story to let us know that her pregnancy is completely a God thing. And Joseph has nothing to do with her pregnancy. So the question is, how would Joseph respond? Well, silent Joseph's response basically shows us the kind of people that God loves to use. So let me break it down into two responses. God uses people of integrity. When Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he could only think one thing, that Mary had been unfaithful, right? I mean, what else are you going to think? This is what you're going to think. But I can only imagine, as you can imagine, how difficult this is. I mean, this, this, is, this is complicated. Because he probably never in his mind imagined that Mary would be unfaithful to him. But then again, what other possibility is there? Right? It wasn't Joseph. And you can only get pregnant one way. Or at least... That's how he understood it. That's what he thought. Now, we don't know precisely what went racing through his mind, but you can understand the predicament that he was in. We're told that Joseph was faithful. He was faithful to the law. 
God's word was his guide. Matthew 1.19 says, He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now what does that mean? By Old Testament law, Joseph could have put Mary through a public trial and proving that she was unfaithful, right? Through public trial. Now, I think that Joseph wanted to marry Mary. I believe that he loved her. But he had no other way of explaining her pregnancy other than adultery. But this is what he decides to do. He graciously decided that he is not going to humiliate her through a public trial and put her to shame. With integrity, and I would call it thoughtfulness, always thinking about her feelings, he decides to divorce her quietly without any public court proceedings. At least that was the plan. And so Joseph moved with integrity and thoughtfulness because he thought about how Mary would have felt. God also uses those with courageous obedience. Now, by the time Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, she is probably about four months along. And after she finds out about her pregnancy through the Holy Spirit, God's working, you know, working through both sides. We'll talk about that next week. Through her own angelic encounter, Mary spends three months living with her relative Elizabeth. Then she returns to Nazareth, where she is found to be pregnant. And then, somehow, we're not really told, but Joseph finds out. Right? But the news of her pregnancy has not yet gone public. That is why Joseph can proceed with the divorce quietly. Probably only known to close family members. But before Joseph divorces Mary as he planned, an angel appears to him in a dream. And the angel said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. You know, dreams may not sound like trustworthy ways to hear from God. But it actually was not an uncommon way that God spoke to his people. He used angels. He used dreams. He used visions. He used donkeys. He used whatever he wanted to use, right? In this case, he used an angel within a dream. Now, they say our dreams arrive when we're going through REM sleep, the REM sleep cycle. But this dream was this supernatural revelation of God. God's own messenger, an angel, within this dream. But my question is this. How in the world was this dream so convincing for Joseph? Because it was, wasn't it? It was the thing that changed everything. 
You know, a lot of our dreams, as you know, you know, they kind of turn up upside down. You go, well, that was the weirdest dream in the world, right? Just cockeye, right? Some chemical disorder in the brain, and it comes out with this weird dream, and you know it's just not true, right? So you know this was a supernatural dream. And as a result of this dream, Joseph completely changed his divorce plan. In fact, you know what he decided to do? He decided to do something riskier riskier than anything before, even more courageous than anything he imagined before. Joseph chose to obey God and marry his fiancée, just as was originally planned, but at great risk to his own reputation. I mean, what others, what would, would others say about Joseph, right? And as he went forward with the decision, it became very public. It had to be public at some point, Right? I think people would have thought, Joseph, you either got her pregnant or she was sleeping around. Right? You can just hear them say it. It wasn't just about Mary's shame, although she would probably get the most shame, but it was an issue of his own shame. And then if Joseph tries to explain it and say, well, actually, I got a dream. The dream told me to marry her. And they probably thought he was even foolisher than before, right? So this is a hard decision. This is, this is take courage. This takes guts. I mean, you're doing this because of his silly dream, Joseph? Whatever way you explain it, in the eyes of many, his decision to take Mary as a wife, his wife was, in that culture, scandalous. A stain on his reputation that may hurt him for years to come. But sometimes, that is the cost of following the voice of God. If you know it's the voice of God, then you obey. But there is a cost. It would have been far easier for Joseph, actually, to divorce Mary in that culture because there would be no shame on him, right? He could just go like that. Goes on her, not on him. Easy peasy. But he was not going to do that. But when God spoke to Joseph through this dream, God gave him courage to go ahead with the marriage. God loves to use people who have courageous obedience. Is that us? Now, let's break this down a bit. What about the dream that gave him courage to obey. What was in that dream that got him going? I find several things that God gave Joseph to obey with courage. First of all, he believed that Mary's pregnancy came from God. The angel said to Joseph, Take Mary home as your wife, because she has what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, that isn't something that Joseph can make up. I mean, it goes against everything he knows. Knowing Mary, I think, and hearing from God, God gave him a new courage. Because he knew that through the super, 
natural power of this dream, it was true. Mary, he is now convinced, is not unfaithful to him. And God was about to do something amazing in her. Now we don't know precisely what he was thinking, but every Jew knows probably in the back of their minds this amazing story in their history. Remember Abraham? Remember Sarah? My mom's 93 years old, and I don't imagine she'll ever become pregnant. No different for Sarah. But boom, it happened. Right? Nothing is impossible for God. And I think something happened within Joseph Hart that says, yes. I get it. He believed, secondly, that Mary's baby, named as Jesus, would change the world. So the angel continued and said to him in the dream, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Because of what he heard from this angel of God, the Spirit of God convinced him that Mary's baby was not going to be any ordinary baby. God not only asked Joseph to complete the marriage, but he asked him to do something else. He asked them to name this baby Jesus. Now you remember this happened in another story. Right? Luke chapter 1. Zechariah. He was asked to do the same thing. Right? Name the baby, which was another supernatural experience. Name your baby John. Right? And then what does Zechariah do? Well, he kind of go, huh? He doubted. He resisted. And of course, you know the story. He was struck dumb for several months. So the question is, what is the big deal about naming babies, right? Now, I think we have to understand, in in Joseph's patriarchal world, fathers had complete rights over their children, and naming was a sign of Joseph's control over the family, or Zachariah's control over his family. But in this dream, what happened? God basically took this right away from Joseph. Because he was going to probably call him Joseph. Right? Joseph Jr. Or something like that. So Mary and baby, Joseph baby was to be named by a name of God's choosing. You are to give him the name Jesus. And then the reasons given. This child named Jesus will grow to be a savior of the world. He will come to deal with the core issues of humanity. Our selfishness, our sin, our self-determination. This child is coming to do that for us. By giving up naming rights to his own son, God was saying to Joseph, Joseph, you have no control over this son. Because this child will be born and he actually is going to control your life. 
It's flipped. He's going to be your Savior. He's going to be your Lord. Put your self-determination on the shelf and let him take control. I mean, Joseph could have resisted like any proud man, just like Zechariah. But what did he do? He humbled himself and he obeyed. In the very last sentence of Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, it says, And he gave him the name Jesus. He obeyed. He went forward with this. Joseph says not a word, but he simply obeyed and named the baby boy Jesus. Like I said, it was not a name probably he would have chosen for his own boy, but he placed his complete trust in God by staying with Mary and marrying her and then naming this baby Jesus. I think there is one more reason that Joseph was given the courage to obey from this dream. Joseph believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise. You know, if you noticed, the angel addresses Joseph as son of David. Then he tells him not to be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. Why is he calling Joseph the son of David? I think God wanted Joseph to hear loud and clear that God's covenant promise from the past has now arrived in the present through baby Jesus. And Joseph, yes, you, Joseph, ordinary Joseph, with dirt behind your nails, I have called you to be a part of this plan. And Joseph himself is the legal is legally connected to King David from a long time ago. Even though Joseph, you know, he's not royalty. He's just a carpenter. But I believe God loves to honor his humble, obedient servants. I really do, right? So this, let's see how this plays out. Back, a bit, back up a bit to chapter 1 of Matthew, or the beginning of Matthew, sorry. And uh, Matthew begins with this, you know, what looks like a pretty boring genealogy, right? He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, pay attention to that. Then in the genealogy, notice how many times David is mentioned. So we got the first one right at the top. Jesus the Messiah, son of David. Two more times then as King David and then David as the father of Rehoboam in verse 6. And then wrapping up the whole genealogy in verse 17, it says this. For there were 14 generations all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So all told from top to bottom, David's name is mentioned five times. And of course, we already know King David is the most prominent king in all of Israel, right? He's the man. But we're told right at the start, this is Jesus' genealogy. And then humble Joseph is found near the end of this legal genealogy as the husband of Mary, 
but he's being legally connected to King David, which is really cool. And then the angel addresses him as Joseph, son of David. What is the significance of this? Every Israelite knows King David. He is God's most beloved king, even though he was far from perfect, but that's not the point. Most importantly, David's name is mentioned so often because of God's covenant promise he made to David. So this is what he says in 2 Samuel 7.16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And then David responds in his prayer. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. So this is a forever covenant promise made to David. God is honoring David through this covenant. But it's not about him. He's always looking forward. And so by calling Joseph son of David and by asking Joseph to name their son Jesus, God was helping Joseph basically to connect the dots to God's covenant promise from long ago because as a good Jew, he would know this. And remember, these are incredibly hard times for Israel. They are actually still in exile, even though out of Babylon for a long time now. And not a prophetic word has been said for 400 years. Dead quiet. Israel's locked in exile, now under the fist of Rome. But now the promise of God is made to David long before, has now arrived in the present through this humble, ordinary man, Joseph. But he's faithful and he's overlooked servant of God and God is using him. But now through his own family, the time has arrived for God to begin the establishment of David's eternal kingdom. God's eternal kingdom that honored David. And now honors a humble guy like Joseph. And then Mary. After Joseph's dream, uh, Matthew adds these words. This is verse 16. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is not what Joseph heard in a dream. This is the writer Matthew. This is his commentary. He's helping you, the reader, understand that the birth of Jesus through the Virgin Mary was indeed nothing made up but a fulfillment of another guy named Isaiah. Well, it's God's promise, but it's Isaiah's words, his prophecy. 
In other words, Joseph's dream was not the result of a few too many drinks and potato chips the night before. The miraculous birth of Jesus was not some fanciful tale someone made up. Joseph's dream lined up perfectly with what God told his prophet Isaiah as well. And the dream lines up. The virgin will conceive and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And God's dreams, if they're really God's dreams, are always compatible with God's certain word. It's just now being fulfilled. So, Joseph, he's your ordinary man, hidden in plain sight, not saying one word, but God uses him. Why? Because of his integrity and because of his courageous obedience. And we can learn from him, can't we? Matthew 1, 24-25 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded of him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He didn't consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Obeyed both commands. Right? God spoke. He listened. He obeyed even in the face of ridicule. That takes courage. And we must be the same as follower of Jesus. You know, there are two kinds of courage. There is foolish courage, and then there is obedient courage. You know, when I was a kid, um, we used to go to the corner store and we would love to purchase boxes of what we called baby dynamite. And that's a f- cool name for firecrackers. Um, they look like miniature dynamite sticks, honestly. And when you're like 12 years old, that stuff just thrills you. And they're tied together in these little bundles in a box. And when you lit them, of course, they would explode. And so, so I would, you know, load them on a wooden boat and push it in the water And, of course, I would light the fuse and push it out, and boom! I just thought it was cool, right? I stick a little baby dynamite in a can and put it in water and light it and watch the can blow up in the air, and it was really cool, right? Well, one of my friends took it a step further, and he took the whole bundle out of the box and he fastened it to his belt. And he says, watch this, guys. And so he did it. We went like this. He went like this. Right? It was quite the scene. Pop, bang, crackle, snap. He yelled. He screamed. And he was laughing all at the same time as we dove, as we ran for cover. You know, that's why men live shorter lives than women. (laughs) So that is an example of Stupid courage. That's foolish courage. Courage without brains. 
But Joseph had none of that kind of foolish courage. He had obedient courage. And he was courageous. And he was obedient in response to God's commands through a dream. Most have would abandoned Mary, left her to suffer in her own shame. But for Joseph, courage welled up in him because God made it clear to him that God's words through a dream or through an angel or through a donkey can be trusted because they're God's words. And he did the wonderful and the most beautiful thing and he obeyed. He obeyed. And there's a part to this story we don't have time to tell, but you know that after baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God told him to leave, to go to Egypt. What did Joseph do? He obeyed. God told him, you can go back now to Nazareth. What did Joseph do? He obeyed. That's the only thing we hear of the testimony of Joseph's life. He always listened and he always obeyed. And we don't hear one word from the guy. What an example to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for using humble, faithful, obedient people. And there's such a deep lesson for us in this Christmas story that revealed your son to us. And help us to be that faithful, humble servant even in fear, even in adversity, when we know you're speaking, help us to still obey you. We might lose friends, we might lose neighbors, but we must obey you if it is your word. And so give us your courage. And in these days, help us to understand that Joseph obeyed because his mind was upon you upon that baby and Jesus. And may we be the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.